There you are. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome. All right. So this week, we're going to be talking about a more serious topic, just about what's happening in America right now. So we're just going to share our thoughts and feelings and uh, some some personal stories that we've been through. Yeah. Um, and we did record this podcast. We had some technical difficulties. So we're... <laughs> This is our this is our quick little redo, um, but hopefully it'll be the same message as what we shared last time. And um, yeah, we're kind of going to talk about what's what's happening. You want to go, Andrew? You want me to go? Um, let's just dive right into white privilege. Let's get into that. Let me hear what you think about it, and then I'll share some thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> that here we go. We're just jumping right in both feet. Okay. Um. I think for me, um, I worry about using the term white privilege all the time because people get so offended by that term. Um, and I think that um, it's a misconception about what, what the term means or that if you have white privilege that you're, you're racist or that you're using it wrong or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so there's this negative connotation with the term white privilege. Um, but for me, what I feel like white privilege means, um, is that like, it doesn't mean that your life hasn't been hard, that you haven't had struggles, that you haven't had to fight for the things that you do have or work hard for the things that you do have. For me, white privilege just means that your skin hasn't been a part of the equation, right? So when you are facing problems, you don't have to question whether or not it's your skin that is at the heart of the issue. Right. Um, so for me, that's what white privilege means. And I don't think that it necessarily is like, I don't think it's something that ne- needs to be offensive. I think that it's just something that is a reality. And I think that it's a tool and and something that can be used in this fight that we're fighting. And um, as long as we're unified and we have people who are standing with us, then it can be a tool that's used um, to help us, I think. Right. I think for me, it just means that you're essentially born into a racial norm. Um you know, you can turn on the television, open a book, you know, magazines, you know, greeting cards. That's, you are well represented. And yeah, we aren't. And I know of a place where we are well represented and that's the prison system, unfortunately. Um, but it's just, that's kind of how I see it. It's just, you are, you are socially included. You're validated. And yeah, we don't get that luxury when we're born. So <laughs> that's. No, cool. definitely. Yeah. And I think like with everything that's going on right now, like this is a, this is one of those times where like we need those people who were born into that social normity to be on our side, to fight with us. And um, I've been, I I, I think like right now for me, social media has been like a really good thing and a really bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think with everything that's been going on, I love seeing people outside of our race, um, stepping up and saying what's happening is wrong and we stand with you like that mm-hmm. for me is so empowering yeah and then on the other hand it's hard for me when I see people being silent because or like misunderstanding the problem I guess like I yes. see so many people who are so angry about the rioting and the looting yes. which like I get right I'm not saying like I don't believe that rioting and looting is the answer to all of our problems right right um but I understand like the anger and the fear behind things getting to that point. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, and there's a quote from Martin Luther King where he says, 
I mean, I don't have it written down, but like, basically he says, I cannot condemn the rioting without also condemning the things that led up to the rioting. And he says that um, today a riot is the language of the unheard. And I think that that is like the perfect explanation for what's happening right now Mm -hmm. is that we've been fighting this battle and having this conversation for so long and it's gone unheard, right? There were like the peaceful protests where um, sports teams were kneeling and wearing t-shirts and we've had marches and all of those kinds of things. And it's, it's gone unheard, right? Yeah. We've been shut down at every turn. People's have lost their careers and their jobs over these peaceful protests. Right. Like and Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and no change has been made, yeah. you know? And um, I see a lot of people on social media referencing um, Martin Luther King and saying, oh, he did everything peacefully. And you know, he didn't riot or loot. And like, that's great. But also he was murdered. Yep, Exactly. He was also, he was also shot. And when he was murdered, he was like, there was, um, his daughter tweeted and said that they had taken a poll. And at the time that he died, he was one of the most hated men in America. And so he, he did, he, he, he advocated for love over hate. He advocated for peaceful protesting and yet he was killed and yet nobody liked him. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Yeah, it's, and- it's interesting. It brings me back to what you said before, like people's focusing, people are focusing on the looting and rioting. And it's like, that was where I was confused. It's like, I'm, I'm confused about the selective outrage, right? Like yeah. when, when lives are being taken, like those stores are going to be fixed, right? Yep. You know, they probably have insurances and things like that, but those lives aren't, we don't have that. Yep. So can't get those back. Yeah. And it's like, we have to redirect the whole conversation again as to why we're doing this. And it Absolutely. always gets tossed out the window. It's always like, well, you're, it's, it shouldn't be how we're doing it. It should be why. Exactly. It, that always gets tossed out. So. Absolutely. And I think that like, that is a huge part of the issue. And also like, I realized this week that there are a huge group of people who are taking this seriously and are taking this conversation and this fight seriously. Yeah. But I also realize there's a whole group of people who just aren't. And that's been really hard for me is that there's just a whole group of people who don't understand. Like um, I saw that there's this thing that's going on on Snapchat. I don't know. I sound like an old lady when I say it like that, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but they're doing a hashtag George Floyd challenge where they're posting pictures of them kneeling on each other's necks. Oh, I haven't seen that as like a game or a joke. And for me, like mm. that's so heartbreaking is that this has turned into a game or a joke for some people. Yeah. And um, even that, like I've, I've heard that people are tired of hearing it or um, you and I talked last week and I, I said that um, I've heard people be like, oh, I want to take a break from social media. It's so negative right now. There's all this yeah. negativity in the world. I'm going to go you know, meditate and take a break from all this negativity. And like, that's so great for you. But for me, that's part of that definition of privilege, right? Right. Like that is privilege. It's privilege to be able to say, I'm going to log out of Facebook and I'm not going to look at this anymore. And then I can pretend like it's not happening. Right. And for us, for the black community, for, you know, those of us that were born this way, this is a battle that we can't 
put down, right? right? It's a burden that we have had to carry our entire lives. And it's not when we chose, like, it's not like I decided that I'm going to be a part of this gang and now I have to fight this battle with this gang, right? It wasn't something I chose. I was born this way. And this, when you're born as a black person, this burden is set upon your shoulders and you have to carry it for the rest of your lives. And you have to brace your children to carry this burden for the rest of their lives. And I just think that like, it's just so hard for me to see, like you said, like people that either don't understand or are um, like not taking it seriously because we don't have a choice, you know? Right. And, and like what you said before, I think that's the epitome of, uh, white privilege right there when you can when you have the opportunity to pretend that race isn't you know that it doesn't exist and that's not a problem uh, yeah. so I think that's the epitome of, of the issue right there yeah I um I saw a woman today on social media comment something like I've lived in the south for 11 years and I've never seen any racism and I just <laughs> I, I was I, I just was like taken aback and I was like so then obviously it doesn't exist, right? And we're all, all of us, the entirety of Black people, we're all just throwing a tantrum over nothing. Like, that's what yeah. it is. And it was just really hard for me to read. Like I said, like, I, it, it's hard for me to understand that, um, like, some people just don't grasp it or don't understand it or don't see it, I guess. Yeah. I had oh, another yeah. interesting point, too. I think that when we had Obama as our president and then people think that we're living in like a post-racist society just because we had a black president. (laughs) And I just think that that's insanity. So I think that's, I've seen a couple of posts like that or people again, just they're like, well, he was there. You had your chance. It's, you know, it's over. It's done. It's, it's not. Um, But there are people who think that, that we're past this. Yeah. Black president. (laughs) And that's obviously not the case. I've heard that. I've also heard people saying like, oh, look, racism is coming back. Or even like people that are blaming our current president and like, don't get me wrong, not a fan, but I'm not either (laughs) on record. Right. Just putting that out there. But I don't think we can blame this on him or say that because Obama was president, that racism was just on pause or something like that. Or, and I think that there's a common misconception that between the times that people are reading in their history books and now what they're seeing on social media, that racism took a break. Yeah. That after Martin Luther King and after the civil rights movement, like everything was hunky dory and we were all fine and there was no racism and we were all safe. And then, you know, now just, you know, in the last 10 years, it's just come back magically. And like, that's not, (laughs) that's not the case. Um, It's been there and we've, tolerated it and shouldered this burden and we've been peaceful protesting we've been kneeling we've been wearing shirts we've been posting hashtags we've been asking for help doing everything that we can marching and voting and all that we can but it's not enough for us to do it on our own you know right it yeah it's it's really um exhausting mentally emotionally spiritually it really is and Um, I guess I want to get into kind of our experiences again, you know, just a story. If you have one, I know we've kind of talked about this before in our, in our earlier podcast of just kind of, uh, little things that we've been through, but, um, if you have a story to share, that would be fantastic. Yeah. So I think like we have tried to make this podcast really like lighthearted and fun. 
Um, and I feel like now that everything is kind of like now that we're having this serious conversation, like not that I regret keeping it lighthearted and fun, but I worry that I misconstrued what it was like to grow up as a black person because I didn't want people to feel like the weight and the heaviness, you know? Right. And so it was easier to kind of make light of it and make it a joke than it was to um, like get on here and say, this is the reality because I wanted people to enjoy listening to it. I didn't want people to walk away from it feeling heavy, but I feel like today is a day where we have to have heavy conversations. Um, And I think like before I jump into my story, like the reason I would tell this story is because I think that people misunderstand the term black lives matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they think that we are saying our lives matter more or our lives are the only ones that matter or that we're trying to pull focus. Um, and that's just simply not the case, you know? Well, let's talk about that real quick then. Why, yeah. why do people feel the need to say all lives matter? I, I truly believe if you, if you believe that all lives matter, which they do, that's common sense, then you shouldn't mind saying black lives matter. I, I've always questioned that. I'm like, do you think, do you say it because you feel that it's not about you? Do you feel superior to me? What is the point of saying that? So how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that for me, it's really frustrating because I think they just don't understand the concept, <laughs> right? And I feel like, like, at least for me, like, I've had this conversation a bunch of times trying to explain it to people. I've seen so many people, like, going at it on social media trying to explain it to people. Um, for me, like, I think that all people say all lives matter because they feel like the Black Lives Matter movement is a selfish one and that we're just trying to, um, or that we're trying to say that our lives matter more or whatever else, right? Our uh-huh. lives matter more than police lives. Our lives matter more than white lives, which is not the case, right? Like, that is not the point. I'm not saying that I don't appreciate police officers because I've had plenty of good experiences with police officers and I respect their lives. I'm not saying I don't appreciate white lives. My parents are white and I love them more than anything on this entire planet (laughs) besides my own children, right? Yeah. Um, what, What, for me, what Black Lives Matter means is that we're fighting for our lives to matter as much as everybody else, right? Right. Like, if my son is on the street with... Um, someone who is white and there is an inter- interaction with someone who, you know, might not have like the best intentions. I want my son's life to matter as much in that moment as the white kid next to him. Does that make right. sense? You know what I mean? So for me, like I, like I get that there's um, like, it can be misconstrued the term black lives matter. I just feel mm-hmm. like if people would just step back and not be offended, just like stop being offended for five seconds and listen to what what we're trying to say and maybe try to understand like the the years and years and years of pain and heartbreak behind that statement like and imagine I mean it's just crazy to me like it's a whole entire group of people begging for their lives to matter as much as everybody else right and like that I can't believe that that makes people upset you know yeah I think for me that those who complain or say that all lives matter again don't get the point but they shouldn't be mad at the movement because you should be happy you don't have one. Yeah. In the first place. So that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> yeah. About that. So yeah, definitely. So with that, like, um, like I said, I 
I had an experience where I realized that because of my skin color, my life mattered less or my words mattered less or who I was a person as a person mattered less. And it was with a law enforcement officer, but I want to preface it by saying that like 90% of my interactions with police have been like very respectful and very Mm -hmm. kind. And um, like we, our car got hit by a drunk driver last month while it was parked outside our house. We had several Mm -hmm. police officers come. They were very respectful to me and they were very respectful to the drunk driver, even though he was also a minority. They were respectful to him, even though he was drunk and he was driving 50 miles an hour in a residential zone they were still respectful to him so um for the most part my experiences with law enforcement have been positive but I also have had experiences where um I knew that my life was in danger um and that I knew that my skin color was playing a huge role in how the situation was being handled Mm -hmm. um and so like the situation that I wanted to talk about was I was on my way home from our parents cabin And I was driving through Brigham City and I got pulled over. And this highway patrolman, from the moment he came to my window, was just unkind. Um, He never... From the very start, right? What? From the very start, he was making you uncomfortable, right? From, like, the moment he approached my door, he never, Mm. you know, asked, you know, any questions. He never addressed me by my name or ma'am or miss or anything. He would not even address me. Um, he asked me multiple times if I had drugs in my car or drug paraphernalia. I told him no. Um, he asked me and my son. And at the time, my oldest was two. He asked me and my two-year-old son. And bear in mind, this was like 1030 at night and we're on the I-15. And he asked me and my son to get out and stand on the side of the road. We get out and stand on the side of the road. They search my car, all of the shenanigans. It it was the, the thing for me that stood out was he just couldn't even look me in the eye. He couldn't yeah. even address me um, just to give me instructions. And that was it. Um, and our parents happened to be driving home from the cabin at the same time. And they were, so they pulled up next to me or behind me, um, behind my car. And me and my son are standing on the side of the road. And our dad gets out of the car and our, our dad is white. And he gets out of the car and this officer got out and shook his hand and said, how's it going tonight, sir? How can I help you? I want to make this night as easy on you guys as possible. You know, we'll get you guys out of here as soon as we can, you know, sorry about the, you know, wait. And, you know, if you guys want to wait in the car, it's totally fine. And was like, so respectful to our father. And I just remember looking at him and thinking like, he could not have cared less about me as a person. Mm -hmm. Like he never even made eye contact with me. And he did he know you were dad's daughter? Did that? Yeah. I mean, but like. So he, what happened with that interaction so, when he found that? But like, and then once once mom and dad got there, like he was, again, very, like he was nice. He apologized to me for the delay and all of that stuff. But up until that point, which I told him, like, my parents are right behind. They're going to pull up. So if you see a car pull up, it's my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but up until, I mean, how was he to know that my parents are going to get out and be this you know, beautiful Caucasian couple. There's no way for him to know that. Right. And so he made a bunch of assumptions about me, probably about my upbringing. I mean, and I was, I did everything that our parents had taught us to do. I was honest with him. I was respectful to him. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing that I could have done or said in that moment that would have made him take me seriously. Right. Um, And I think that's the fear that we all have is black people. Yeah. You just never know what, what cop you're going to get, you know? And like you said earlier, the, the other day, 
you know, that cop could have taken your life because he felt that you were a threat. Yeah. And and there's nothing you could have done about that. And so I think that's where we're, we're nervous because we just, you know, I know all cops aren't bad, but it's like, it's hard to believe that sometimes. It is. <laughs> and like, <clears throat> I think like it is it, like, it, it's the fear that in that moment, like I was powerless. I'm unarmed. I was at the time a single mom. I'm sitting there with my two-year-old son and I'm terrified. It's late at night. And if our parent, I like, I don't know how the night could have gone if our parents mm-hmm. hadn't been there as well, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think like, I worry for my children. Um, and like, I have one child who's darker than the other. And it's like a heartbreaking thing because I love my skin and I'm proud to be a black person, but my heart feels sad for my son who's darker because I know his life is going to be harder. Yeah. You know? And like, I just know that like, there will be things that he'll have to deal with that my oldest won't because his skin is lighter. And right. um, it's like, a, that's like a heartbreaking thought to have as a mother is that like, man, I wish like your skin was lighter. Like that's such like a heartbreaking thing to think about. And like, what does that do for like our self-worth as black parents? You know what I mean? Yeah. That we're wishing our children didn't have to deal with what we have to deal with. So um well it makes me think of our brothers too and all that they've been through so you're making me emotional too (laughs) um yeah I mean I know our brothers have been through a lot and I know we've been through a lot too and sometimes it's like the little things that you don't think we have to go through like um starting a conversation with somebody in the elevator so that they don't get scared and clench their purse or um smiling at somebody on the sidewalk that's a white person that is walking towards you that might feel afraid so those are things that we have to deal with too that you might not think about but we do yeah or even like we we joked about in our earlier podcast about people touching our hair and our skin yeah and we're kind because we've been raised to be kind but also because it won't help us at all to escalate a situation right Exactly. If I start yeah, screaming at someone in Walmart for petting me or my children, that doesn't end. I'm the one who that doesn't end well for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for me, um, I've never had a bad interaction with a policeman, which I feel really fortunate not to, to have. Um, but I remember when I was like 16 or 17, I got signed to like a modeling agency in acting and things like that and I booked my first gig and I show up and uh you know they were like come over here let's start getting your hair and makeup and I'm like okay and I walk over and I said do you guys know how to do ethnic hair and I said do you have any experience with that and they said no I said okay um so I just sat down and we're like five six minutes in and they're just burning my hair off and like breaking it and I said is there any way we could do something else with my hair like my hair needs to be moisturized and oil and things like that and they said no and I said okay so the shoot goes on it's fine and then like two days later I get a phone call from the agency and they're like can you come in we have to talk to you and I was like okay so I so I go in and and they said uh you were unprofessional on the set and they felt that you were really difficult to work with and I was just like shocked I was like for what and I said, they, you know, and then I realized it was like, because of my hair texture, it didn't fit with what they were looking for. I guess it was, yeah. I'm like, but I knew that's what they were looking for because you, they casted me. So I'm like, they knew I was coming. Yeah. 
So I just felt a little bit disrespected in that way. And it was just a really big eye opener to me that I just felt inferior because of my hair texture. Like it didn't work for them. And that feeling of inferiority is something that I think that we have had to feel for a really long time. Um, We Mm -hmm. talked last week about like our high school experiences even and like um, try to be careful not to be too black to make people uncomfortable. You yeah. Know what I mean? like, and that's I like mean, a silly thing. I wore my fro, yeah. I think I wore my fro like maybe once or twice and I didn't want to, but I was just like, whatever. And it was kind of like, people were kind of being weird about it or going crazy and touching it. I'm like, listen, like what can I do at that point? So, but it was uncomfortable. I didn't like it, yeah. but imagine us going with like, you know, our hair half braided or, you know, a silk, <laughs> A silk, you know, a silk scarf or something like that would be like, what is happening? Yeah, the world would implode. (laughs) I was telling you that like last night I had a full on meltdown. So I typically (laughs) wear wigs. This is me having a confessional to the entire world. But I typically wear wigs and um, I I wore my natural hair for a little while last winter. And uh, I remember that. Then it was, it was pretty though. You did a good job. Thank you. And then I stopped and went back to wearing wigs and um last night I had just like this full-on like emotional meltdown just about everything that's going on about people that I see that I know and love like not understanding the journey that we're going through about people that I mm-hmm. I know and love who do understand and who are posting and are standing up for us and I just had this like complete come apart <laughs> like it was like a dramatic movie it was so bad I was standing in my bathroom and I was singing this is me from Greatest Showman. I'm like taking the cornrows out and like taking off my wig and taking out my cornrows and like throwing out my hair. Like, and in my mind, I was like, I am proud to be a black woman. Like, just like, and I wore my afro today and I was like, I just felt like, like it's such a silly thing, like that my natural hair, but I just felt like I needed to feel like connected to my community and connected to like, being a strong black woman and like wearing my natural hair and I just was like but it was like a full on it was like midnight too and like Lizzie's in the other room watching Netflix and my husband's asleep my kids are asleep and I am just funny (laughs) sometimes it's funny because sometimes I feel like I need to like be with my community so I'll wear my hair out and I'm in Harlem New York right it's like there's so much history here and I love it because I can go talk to people at the you know get it you know, get a sandwich at the corner store and we're just like talking and obviously there's so much talk about what's going on now, but I just, it, it's a good feeling to be a part of the community. So, yeah. which, which we didn't have growing up, which is okay, but it's kind of nice to be like, we're in this together type of feel. And, and I'm not being judged with how my hair looks or wearing sweats and a t-shirt to go grab yeah, something. Yeah, for sure. And I so. think for me, like <laughs> that's been a silver lining of all of this negativity and craziness in the world. <clears throat> the silver lining for me has been that I think at least like for me, I've always felt isolated in my problems as a black person, right? That like other people right. wouldn't understand or couldn't understand or didn't want to understand what we were going through. And like today yeah. they're doing blackout Tuesday and I see all of these people that I love and respect so much, like participating in it and, and posting black lives matter posts and, you know, like asking for resources about how to best help in this fight, in this battle. And um, for me, yeah. it's made me feel like even though like in Utah, I'm still one of like 14 black people 
<laughs> that's not a real statistic. Don't quote me on that. That's just me being yeah, sarcastic. But, it but that's what it, like it, that. that, it, it, that's what it like. feels like. But even though it feels that way, and I feel like we're there's very few of us here, I feel like I have a community of people outside my race who now like understand are like standing by me and are fighting this battle with me. And like more so than any other time in my life, I feel so supported in this battle. And like, yes, there are people who are negative. And yes, there are people who are like not understanding like the weight of what we're going through. But I think for the most part, like it's been such like an eye opener about how many people want to fight for this, you know? Right. True. I, I agree with you. Um, I love the support. It means everything to it us. It does. So I'm very grateful. And I was talking, I, I put a post on social media the other day talking about the kind of love that like our parents had to have to bring eight children under the same roof who are different races, who have different backgrounds. We're all from different areas. Um, and we, they made us into a family, right? And when you think about like the division yeah. in the world right now, like that's an incredible kind of love that can bring together like those eight kids and make a family, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. And I just think like that's the kind of love that the world needs right now. And that's the kind of love like I'm feeling right now from the people that I see standing up and using their voices is that unity and that like us coming together and like the world being a family, like we're all humans. Let's be a family. Let's fight this together. And it's like a really uncomfortable time right now. It really is. And I think that the benefit of that is that being uncomfortable brings change, right? Your things don't change if you're not uncomfortable. So I think we should, we kind of want to be that's the point of a protest. The point of a protest is to make you uncomfortable. So I hope that even though the nation is hurting right now, I hope that the nation is uncomfortable and that we're all fighting for some change. Yeah. And and going back to our parents, we will have them on the show at some point because they have such an interesting, um, you know, they they have their whole, I mean, they see things differently because their parents and they adopted Black kids. So they have a really interesting read on that. So I think we'll have them on the show to share um, just their experience as well with, with our whole family situation. They are point. keepers. So I think that <clears throat> would be really fun to have them on the podcast I think it would be a blast we all just when we're together know, we all just loves laugh it. so much anyway yeah. we're we're over the top yeah and we don't care it's, it's beauty I love it yeah. all right well how do you feel about this conversation I feel good I mean I I I think part of me wishes that like I had an answer that would like make the situation better I could tell people how to fix it or whatever you know what I mean um, or mm-hmm. the, at the end of every conversation, I felt like, okay, we're going somewhere. And it's hard because I, we, I think we've all gotten our hopes up before that like things were going to get better and they haven't yeah. yet. But um, I think that, you know, like I said earlier, like if we can have people stand with us because the black community has been saying the same thing for a really long time and it's gone unheard. Mm-hmm. And so if we can have people stand with us and use their voices, I think that that will be the resolution. And, and that's, that's, I think our biggest hope. Right. I mean, we have these, you know, special situations like now, and then over time, it just kind of goes away. And then in a week like this, it blows up. And I hope it doesn't do the same thing. I hope history doesn't repeat itself. I don't want to go back to normal and feeling uncomfortable every day. So hopefully something good comes from this. I'm hoping that this is a time for change. So that's kind of how I feel. And 
Um, I'm hope, yeah. I'm hope that people who listen to this know that Angie and I aren't speaking from a place of anger ever, but a place of hurt sometimes, and um, just trying to be honest about our experiences and our feelings, and um, hope that you learn something or gain something from this podcast. Yeah, and thanks to all of you who've been reaching out to us. We appreciate yep. that. Thank you for listening, so, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> all right, you guys. Thanks for listening, and have a okay, great week. Bye, everyone. Bye.